In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The theme for our day is the Holy Spirit. You could see it in our readings, you could see it in our colic, you could see it in our hymn. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is called the forgotten person of the Trinity. Now, that might be uh, literally false. After all, we invoke not only the Father and the Son, but also the Holy Spirit. We confess, I believe in the Holy Spirit. We have readings about the Holy Spirit and hymns. But that's not the point of saying that the Holy Spirit is forgotten. It's that the Holy Spirit doesn't seem to play much of a role in our preaching, our teaching, our pastoral care, our theological reflection. To test that, you might take up the question about the Holy Spirit. What do you mean by Holy Spirit? And do you really mean it? What do we mean by the Holy Spirit? Well, we confess in the Creed, as we will shortly, that we believe in him, that he's the giver of life, that he proceeds from the Father and the Son. And let's start there. The Holy Spirit is one that comes from God and the Son. And it's usual, I think, to consider that he came to us after Christ came. But really, we should start our consideration by realizing that the Spirit proceeded from God in the Son. When the Christ was conceived, how did that take place? He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. When he started out his mission, he was called the Son of God by God, and he received God's Spirit. And it was in the Spirit that he went into the desert and encountered the devil. It was by the power of the Spirit that he went into Galilee preaching. When he goes to his hometown synagogue in Nazareth, he applies to himself the prophet Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, freedom to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, freedom for those who are oppressed, the year of the Lord. Jesus not only went and preached in the power of the Spirit, but the things that he did, people knew he did by a spirit. Now, some he said that he did it by an evil spirit, by an unclean spirit, but Jesus set them right. No, he cast out demons by the Spirit of God, and that meant that the kingdom of God had come among them. The Spirit proceeded from God first in the Son. And in the Spirit, Christ not only led many to call on him, to seek after him, to believe on him, but also to reject him. It was in the Spirit that people believed on Jesus. It was in the Spirit that people did not believe in Jesus. His inspired words and his inspired works are the reason some rejected him, and he was suffered, and he died. But it was according to the Spirit that Jesus was raised from the dead, and it was in the Spirit that he comes to his apostles, and he gives them his Spirit, and he gives them the Spirit to give others the Spirit. So this is the Spirit. The Spirit was not, then, 
and it's clear from our readings, was not the possession of all the people of God. The Spirit, we could say, was with all the people of God. He was among them, but he was not in or on all of those people. Out in the Sinai Desert, the 70 elders are called to gather around the tent of meeting, and Yahweh puts his Spirit on the elders. Two of them, well, did they oversleep? Did they forget? Did they get stuck in traffic? Anyhow, they don't make it out of the camp, but the Spirit comes also on them. Joshua tells Moses, make them stop, as if Moses could stop the Spirit of God. But no, Moses gets it about the Spirit of God. Oh, that all God's people were prophets. All of them would have the Spirit. And even when Christ comes into the world, the Spirit was not initially given. He had the Holy Spirit. He had the Holy Spirit in fullness. He had the Holy Spirit in completeness. But to those who believed on him, he also promised that they would have the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit would pour out of them like streams of living water. Now, part of our Part of the difficulty, it's not really a problem. But one reason the Holy Spirit can be forgotten is that he is not, I'll put it this way, an object of our experience. In the divine economy, in God's way of working out things in the world, God's ultimate object of experience, that which we look for, look toward, believe on, is Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only God, Jesus Christ, he has made him known. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. When asked, show us the Father and that will be enough, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In the divine economy, in God's way of working out things in this world, Jesus is the object of our experience. Not the Spirit. No, but what the Spirit does. The Spirit's place, the Spirit's office in all this is to make Christ our experience. That we would believe that he is the Lord, that he is the Christ, that he is the Son of God. To believe his word as the truth. To receive grace from him as divine grace. To follow his example. To keep all he has commanded. So we can tell the Holy Spirit, not by direct perception, but by his effects. After all, what would it take to believe that this man from Nazareth, who got himself crucified, is actually the Son of the eternal God and the Lord over all things, who will return one day to judge the living and the dead? And the Christian answer is the Holy Spirit. What would it take to go and proclaim him in the face of all kinds of objection, in the teeth of all kinds of opposition? The Christian answer is the Holy Spirit. What would it take to live for this Jesus and even to die for him? The answer is the Holy Spirit. And that answers the question about do we mean it? Well, you've gathered here to sing the praises of Jesus Christ in the Spirit, to pray to God in the Spirit, 
to receive God's grace in the Spirit. But there are some things, being in the Spirit, uh, our lives, our times, our situations sometimes wants to play that down. It happens in other places too. I know this is maybe a dangerous example, but I'm going to risk it anyway. Uh, being in the Spirit, referring to things being inspired, having a spirited conversation, sure, maybe we don't really refer to some Spirit, much less the Holy Spirit, but there is something about being alive, having a lively faith, having real confidence, having assurance that reflects what's going on inside. Several years ago, my, uh, one of my sons wanted to go to a college football game. So the deal was, all right, if you save money for your ticket, I'll buy a ticket and we'll go. And we get there, and the game turns out to be pretty exciting. At one point, there was a punt return that's taken into the end zone, and everybody gets up and starts to cheer. There's a guy in front, in front of us, who he slaps one guy, and he gives another guy a high five, and he turns to my son and gives him a high five, and they say, yeah, and then he turns to me, and he looks, he goes, oh and turns back around. And it's easy to explain why, because, you know, I was not in the spirit of things. Now, that is a possibly misleading sort of thing, because, well, are you saying we should be emotional? Are you saying we should be excited? Well, that's not really the point. To his disciples. Whenever you wonder how or where or in what condition to find a God who justifies or accepts sinners, Luther writes, it's then you must work out a certain way. And not just some things like the end of this uh, reunion or the end of a class or the end of the school year or something like that. No, that the, in the end of all things, we will have eternal life. In the end of all things, we will lead lives of peace and joy and confidence with God and all his people. That no matter what we face, no matter what we endure, no matter how our lives in this age end, in the age to come, there will be blessing forever. And that kind of promise, that kind of hope, should give rise to something living. Of course, that is a fantastic promise. I mean, it could be easily made up. It could be something we tell ourselves just to get by day after day, year after year. It could just be another story. Of course, the Christian story doesn't start with just some people who have a good idea. It starts with the God who encountered Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who founded a nation, Israel, and to sent, to sent to them and to the world his son, Jesus Christ, who came promising just these things, who came announcing the kingdom of God and the eternal life, who came forgiving sins in the name of this God and casting out demons for which he died. He came in the Spirit and he died. But he rose again, showing that he really did have the Spirit. He really was the Son of God. He really did have all authority, that his words were true, his actions were good, and that when he would come back, it would all be complete. And he will. It's been a long time, but he will. Last week, we remembered the ascension. At the ascension, just before, the disciples asked, 
Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Because they had been looking for the kingdom of God. And now they knew it would come with Jesus. But not only does Jesus not give them an answer, he goes off into the heavens. Well, the angels assured them he'll come back the same way you saw him go. And Jesus himself, before he went, promised them the Holy Spirit, promised them the Spirit to keep alive that faith and that hope. And not only for them, but for them to share, to pour out that Spirit. And that Spirit's own mission. He draws them into his own apostleship, sending them out as the Father sent him. And before you can begin to ask, but me? How can I do this? I can't even make a decent disciple out of myself. How can I possibly make disciples of all nations? Before you can even begin to ask, he answers your question. All authority is mine. I and the Father and the Spirit are one. There is only one name into which you are to baptize and to be baptized. There is only one name by which humanity will be saved. At my great assurance, now and always. Amen.